I titled this sermon, Love Within the Church. But I have to tell you, it wasn't my first thought. I had a few other good ones. One I thought of was, what's love got to do with it? You know, what's love got to do with it? But I quickly passed. It was a little too edgy. Then I thought, ah, this works. Crazy little thing called love. But it didn't settle right with me either. It was too subtle. But after much prayer and fasting, then I thought, I got it. This one's perfect. It's kind of long. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. Love is all you need. Love is all you need. And this goes on about nine times. <laughs> but I thought, no, Tom, let's keep it simple. So I landed on love within the church. Less catchy, but it will do. So here we are at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And Corinthians chapter 13 is a very familiar chapter to many of us. Many Christians are familiar with this, and the world is familiar with this chapter as well. This chapter has been referred to as the love chapter. Many parts of this chapter has been recited at weddings. It's been quoted around Valentine's, recited in cards, specific verses of this chapter, has been printed on coffee mugs, bumper stickers, posters, and even tattoos. And the list goes on. Nothing wrong with these, of course, but if you grew up in church, you might have heard this chapter expressed in marriages, how husbands and wives should love one another. Thank you, Chuck. How husbands and wives should love one another. Or you might have heard this is what love and romance in a marriage should be. You might have even heard, as you as a believer, this is how you should love the world. And the world is too familiar with this chapter, more specifically with love in general. The world loves to quote and remind believers of the importance of love. Saying if you don't do this, or if you don't do that, or if you don't accept this lifestyle, or accept this person or cause, or accept their truth, because it's my truth, which is my favorite one, you are not loving or showing love. And in both of these general views, this is not what this chapter is about. The love of Paul is speaking about has nothing to do with love expressed in marriages, nothing to do with love between a husband and wife, nothing to do with romantic expression of love. The specific type of way, or specific type of way, the world views love. Now, this chapter has nothing to do with any of those things. So this chapter, what is it about? So there are three main ideas Paul wants the church at Corinth to see. And a step further, I would say, the church here at Grace, this body of believers to see. The first point, warning of the results of actions without love. The second point, the actions in which love shows up with one another. And third, why love is eternal and supreme. While studying this chapter, you first have to see who Paul was speaking to. So I'll recap real quickly who these people at the Church of Corinth were. I'll go through this quickly, but I want us to see who this church really was. Chapter 1, Paul calls them out for their division. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus, that all you agree, that there be no divisions among you, 
but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Chapters 2 and 3, Paul reiterates this same message was Christ and Him crucified. That some were following after mere men. He addressed them as people of flesh, not spiritual people. Chapters 4 and 5, he spoke of their arrogance and judgmental hearts. Paul reprimanded them for their sexual immoralities. That they were so vile, he said that pagans don't even act this way. Chapter 6 through 10, we see lawsuits in the church, marriages forsaken, and a return to idols and idolatry. Chapters 11 and 12, they had taken the gift of the Lord's Supper, their gift from the Lord, and abused them. They violated the Lord's table. They fractured the church and put it in disarray. This structure was broken. This church was messed up. These people were messed up. They thought of themselves so much, so boastful and arrogant, they wanted to be their showy gifts to show off and display. And up until this point, Paul had been pretty brutal with them. He even mentioned at one point, almost sarcastically, should I come with a rod to these people? So now in chapter 13, Paul comes into chapter 13 speaking about love. Love. Basically a 180 in his approach. I can imagine his tone changing, his demeanor changing, his cadence even changing, changing to somewhat of a, expressing a genuine love and faith towards them, a real heart-to-heart, similar to the way a, a father would speak to his son. This is, <clears throat> he's now wanting to show them, to show us, what actions and love, without, sorry, excuse me, what actions look like without love, what love looks like among believers, and why it is eternal and supreme above all. Not just any love, but the love that is found in Christ alone. And as we read through this, this kind of love that we are talking about is not a romantic feeling kind of love. It's not even an emotional love. He's not talking about a tingling sensation or sentimental feeling. And this is not a brotherly love either. Or friendly tolerance kind of love. No matter tolerance in, no matter what the situation is or beliefs are, that there is love. You may have heard this from time to time. People may say, no matter what situation it is, no matter what they believe, we just got to love them. It's none of those things. This love, what love is, is an act of self-sacrifice. You see, through Christ's ministry in the gospel, over and over again, Christ showed this time and time again that love is an act of self-sacrifice. Love is actions. It's not feelings or emotions or warm-heartedness for someone. It's actions. John 15, 9, 10, and 13. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. What actions did Christ do? How has Christ loved them? By coming into the world, dying on a cross, taking away their sins, and giving them righteousness. Verse 10 in John, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, love towards the Father, towards Christ, is an act of self-sacrifice of my will to do his will. Verse 13, he sums it up. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. 
So this love is an act of self-sacrifice. It's actions, period. We all know God is love, and we have been given the ability to love because he's loved us first. John goes on to tell us, we love him because he loved us. John tells us, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Roman tell, Romans tells us, love is the fulfilling, excuse me, love is the fulfilling of the whole law. We read it this morning when Jesus' disciples came to him and asked, what is the greatest commandment? He replied, to love your Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments sum up all the law. Now we have an understanding of what the, lo- the, love, the word love here means, of self-sacrifice, of actions. Let us look at our first point. Warning of the results of actions without love. And I'll read this for us. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not loved, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic power and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not loved, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and if, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not loved, I gain nothing. These first three verses, Paul is speaking hyperbole, an exaggerated statement and claims meant to not be taken literally. And as we learned last week, these people desired the showy gifts, not being satisfied with the spirit or the spirit-given gifts. They desired fake gifts, which would bring them attention and the focus would be on them. One of them was speaking in tongues. And just to be clear, tongues, and throughout the New Testament, means languages. This is not an unspeakable language that some in the Christian faith subscribe to. The Church of Corinth were bringing in their pagan babble. They were proud and self-seeking and selfish. They desired the glory. They had taken this way beyond where it should have been. Since anyone can speak gibberish and show their gift... It was something to say, look at me, look how great I am, look how holy I am. He goes on to say, if I speak in languages of angels, and to be clear, this is an exaggerated claim, there is no angel language. He is saying, if I could do that, and I have not loved, it means nothing, it's absolute nothing. And put it another way, if I could sum up all languages, known and unknown, for all time, and I have not loved, it's just noise. A noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. He's equating this to their previous pagan worship, which was used gongs and cymbals and instruments along with their pagan battle. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not loved, I am nothing. And again, this is another indication he is speaking hyperbole, because no one except God can know all, knowledge and know all things. And the word prophecy here is not a foretelling of the future or upcoming events. Prophecy here, what prophecy means is to speak, to proclaim. And this is key. Proclaiming the truth of God without love, you gain nothing. We can see this in today's culture. 
many pastors and preachers have operated this way. They have found themselves in terrible situations, sinful situations, and some out of the ministry altogether. They had great insight. They plunged the depths of theology. They had, they had went to the best seminaries and read the best authors. Some even wrote books. They had a great knowledge of Scripture. Yet love was missing, and their ministry became nothing. There was a pastor up north who had a congregation that grew that congregation to over 15 campuses. Thousands of people were being ministered week in and week out. This pastor had a great insight to the things of the Lord. He was an extremely well-spoken pastor. He wrote books and, for all intents and purposes, was sharing sound doctrine. But yet, towards the end of that ministry, what kind of came out about this pastor was that he was harsh, rude, boastful, arrogant, off the stage, and more so with his staff. And sadly, those churches folded up and collapsed. His love was missing. That ministry became nothing. And we can see this in our own lives today. How many times have we done something for someone, not in love in mind, but out of obligation? Obligated in the sense that if we don't do it, it won't get done. Obligation is not love. And if not out of of obligation, we might do something for someone out of desires to be praised or esteemed, that we would get the glory, that we would get the thank you. And again, not out of love. Or in the busyness of the day-to-day because it serves our ego, our pride, our self-worth, just jumping into whatever it might be without the goal in mind that it should be love. Doing this all without operating in love, it means nothing. And the ministry here at Grace, our overarching theme should be love. Our children's ministry, our youth ministry, the teaching on Sunday morning, our outreach efforts, our DNA groups, our discipleship, and of course our preaching should be bathed in love or we gain nothing. It's nothing more than just racket, just noise, shuffling the paper, checking boxes, doing what church people do. Verse 3, And if I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not loved, I gain nothing. What Paul is talking about, delivering up my body to be burned, we must remember these people were bringing in their pagan idols and idolatry. And being a martyr was one of them. Some of them would kill themselves for the sake of their religions. And this is still done today in many religions. And even at this, even at the point of death, Paul is telling them, without love, you gain nothing. So this is the warning of the results of actions without love. It produces nothing. It gains nothing. To the second point is the actions in which love shows up with one another. And Grace Church, let us take these next four verses with high regard with one another, with those that are coming, that the Lord is bringing into our church, with those that, that Christ is saving and redeeming. Let us take these next four verses in high regard. I'll read for us. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. 
is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Well, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And as you read through this, questions to ask yourself. Would someone describe me this way? Would your co-workers describe you this way? Your family? Your church family? And more so, would any one of these describe you? Love is patient. This kind of patience is not the type of patience that we are graciously waiting for something. It's not waiting for a promotion or waiting for a project to be done or an event to be arrive. It's not about patience with an experience or a difficult situation. No, this patience is patience with people, specifically people in the local body of Christ here at Grace. The same goes for being kind. These words kind and patient are actions with one another. Because love can only be described in actions, not in how it feels, but how it acts. This description of love and kindness is meant to be at its highest form. It's maximum patience, it's maximum kindness before we get mad. Because what happens when we have lost our patience? We tend to get mad and angry We are not kind in those moments. Our pride swells up. Arrogance leads the way at this point. We start saying to ourselves, you can't be that way to me. You can't treat me that way. You know what I do? Who I am? I don't deserve this. The focus is no longer on them but you. And Paul is trying to tell us, this describes a person who is very very slow to anger, who doesn't get angry, no matter how someone has treated them, never explodes, never retaliates, never seeks revenge. Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. A better example of patience, no better example of patience looks like than what kindness looks like than God's great compassion and patience and kindness towards his people. Christ's patience towards his people with our sin and our sinfulness. And God is loving. And his patience leads us to repentance. The next verse. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. And this is so important in the church. So important for us believers and how we love one another here at Grace. Without trusting Christ and relying on the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, we will be envious, boastful, full of pride, not walking in love at all. And this has happened in the church of Corinth. Paul describes this kind of envious in the church. Back in chapter 12, it says, If the foot says, because I am not the hand, I am not the body. If I am the ear... And if the ear says, if I'm not the eye, I'm not part of the body. God has placed the members just as he desires them. Love has no place in being envious or jealous with someone. The kind of envious here is not just, I want what you have. I'm jealous of what you have. I desire the gifts that you have. No, it's much more corrupt. 
It's not just I want what you have. It is I don't want you to have it at all. I'd rather you not have it, period. This is wicked. But this is how they, how they were envious with one another. They were driven by their selfish desires, which led them to boasting all the more. Boasting not about Christ. Boasting about, not about the work that was done in them. Not about boasting about the finished work that Christ has done taking away their sins, giving them righteousness, but their own works they boasted. Their own way they conducted themselves and their own gifts. And here at church, we may not boast like the world does with a loud trumpet or flashing going about. Our boasting is sometimes cloaked in sharing what we think is a better way of living or doing. Our boasting is sometimes cloaked in our choices that we share. We operate our lives and homes, how we teach our kids, the career that we chose, our boasting where we live or even our experiences. We must ask ourselves, am I telling this or sharing this about myself? Am I doing this within love and benefit of the other? Or am I trying to receive glory for the good things God has blessed me with? We forget James 1. For every good gift, every perfect gift, is from Him, coming down from the Father. Everything that you experience that is good is a gift. Your family, your spouse, your career, your homes we live in, the trips we take, the experiences that we have, everything that is good comes from Him. We forget this. And if something is good in your life, it is from Him. This is the immense grace of God that we can experience good things here. The good gifts from Him because if it was left up to you, your sinful nature would have destroyed you long ago. So at the end of the day, we have no room to boast, no room to be envious, no room to be arrogant of our life. It is by grace that we get experience good in life. We get to enjoy His mercy and grace. Because he is good. Jesus said it, no one is good except God alone. Verse 5. Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. How can we not be this way? Insisting on our own way, being irritable and resentful. How can we love in this way? Love, it doesn't insist on its own way. That's the very opposite of how many of us operate. We love it being our own way. And when we can't get it, we become irritable and resentful very fast. When we don't get our way, it may sound something like, fine, you can have it your way. That's fine, I don't care. You know what? Do whatever you want to do. Do these things sound familiar? When we don't get our own way. We can act this way very much in church. We are people of different views, different ideas at times, different backgrounds and experience. We may not always agree, yet we must, we need to yield our desires to Christ. John the Baptist said it this way, he must increase, I must decrease. 
Jesus said it before he was crucified for our sins. Not my will be done, but yours. What is the theme here? It's humility. Humility. Humility is a precursor to love. Can a prideful person easily accept the way that his way is not the best? Can someone being arrogant think someone else may have value? I'll say it again. Humility is a precursor to love. James 4 tells us, humble yourself before the Lord. And to do this, we must have the right view of who we are and what we deserve. And more importantly, a right view of God and his righteousness. And who we are, the word of God tells us. Tells us who we are. And I got to tell you, it's very humbling. Jeremiah 17. Man's heart is deceitful above all things. Romans 1. By their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. Ecclesiastes 9. Man is full of evil and madness in his heart. Titus 1. Both their minds and their conscience are defiled. How can we be boastful and arrogant? Romans 7. For I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. To walk in love, we must walk in humility. Humility in our ways, humble in our actions. Having the right view of ourselves and others will aid you in loving them. Meaning, we can look past their faults and show love to them. Because at the end of the day, they are just like you. That same pastor I mentioned had a famous quote that stayed in my mind for years. He said, it's not bad people and good people. It's bad people and Jesus. We are stained by sin. Our nature is sinful. To the next verse. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Bearing with one another is not just in their sin, but their sin against you. A brother or sister might be walking through hard times, dark times. Sin might have gripped them and dragged them away. And that's what sin does. It entices us. It's dragged away, gives birth to sin, and sin leads to death. So yes, we should show love by bearing with one another, praying for them, extending grace towards them. The flip side, which is much harder to do, is when they have sinned against you, when they have wronged you, when you have been diminished, but you are called to bear with them in love. Continuing, believes believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What does this mean? How does love do this? Remember, love is an action. So hopes all things. This is looking to the best of people. This is looking to the best of people's intentions. Never thinking ill of someone, but thinking the best of them. Never assuming the worst. Sometimes we do this with our mouth, with gossip, with a judgmental attitude towards them. We look, at, we look for times for the worst. You know why we do this? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves and our sinfulness. 
that is not hoping or believing in the best of them. It's not loving them at all. See, love endures all things, 1 Peter 4. Love covers a multitude of sin. Love covers our faults of people. Love covers the failures and mistreatment of others. Love remains consistent in spite of wrongdoing. Love bears all wounds, disappointments, and hurts. It responds in gentleness with the hope of God. And this is how God has dealt with us, in gentleness. Our rebellious ways, we were enemies of God. Our refusal to submit to his lordship, but he dealt with us graciously. And no matter what, love holds on, never overburdened, never overwhelmed. And this is how we should love one another here at Grace, how we should live and act with one another. And to my last point, why love is eternal and supreme. And I'll read this for us. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide in these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love never ends. It is eternal. Since Paul was talking to a bunch of prideful, arrogant, showy people that wanted to display themselves for something higher than they actually were, clinging to their showy gifts, he was letting them know they're all going to go away. Prophecy gift, the gift of tongues, knowledge, Paul says all these will pass away. He acknowledged them for proclaiming biblical truth and their knowledge. They had the gift of prophecy and of knowledge. Their doctrine was sound. But it meant nothing. It was done out of prideful ambitions. This church was missing love in every aspect. Paul shares with this church that their spiritual gifts, which they admire to a fault, all these spiritual gifts will eventually will fade. They're going to serve the Lord's will, and then they will be no more. Those gifts are earthly gifts made for this time, and then they're going to be no more, done away with. The meaning here is rendered useless. But love, because it is eternal, never fails. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, and when the perfect comes, he's letting the church here at Corinth know that the knowledge that you have and what you proclaim is only partial to what is to come. God has given us all that we need to know him, to serve him, to glorify him. God's divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him called by us in his own glory and excellence. When the perfect one comes, this is when we are with Christ in heaven, where love is fulfilled. God's saving work through Christ has been completed. Yet, at the point, these gifts are now necessary. Here today, they're necessary for building up and growing the church. But in time, they no longer will be needed. They will fully cease. 
no longer needing these gifts because all will be known. And the glorious part, the glorious part of this, church, is that we will fully know Christ. Completely. Because as of now, we don't see God's full redemption. We don't fully see what it means to be saved completely. And we don't fully see what we are saved from. We don't see what we are saved for either. So this remains faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is why love is eternal. Love never ends. Since it is an attribute of God, John 4, God is love. This is his character. It's who he is. He is all love. This is why love is supreme. Because God is supreme. There is no God before him, no God after him. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. He is the greatest, the highest, above all, he is supreme. Love was perfect before eternity passed, before the creation of the world, perfect in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and will remain eternal. And for those, and for us to know this kind of love that we've been talking about this morning, we must know the Father. But we first must know the Son. Just as I previously mentioned in the verse, referenced in the verse before, there will be a time when there's no more proclaiming the good news to the world. There'll be no more preaching, no more learning. There will be, we will be perfectly known in Christ in his fullness, and that will be a glorious day when we see him face to face. Which this also means that there will be no more time to hear the gospel, no more opportunities to turn to the Lord, no more opportunities to put your faith in Christ alone for your salvation. Time is not on your side. You will not always have an opportunity to ask for forgiveness of your sins. You might say to yourself, someday I will. Someday I will come to Christ. Someday I will put my faith in him. Someday I will surrender my life to him. Someday I will repent of my sins. Someday, most of the time, some days don't come. And the time is up. What will you do? What hope will you have when you're standing before a holy and righteous God given account? See, you and I have broken God's law. Remember we, the disciples came to Jesus and said, what are the two greatest commandments? Love your Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. To love your neighbors as you love yourself. These laws we have broken. And the word of God tells us all have sinned and fallen short. And because of this sin, we are separated from God. And what we deserve from that sin, what the wages are of that sin, is death. A physical death, spiritual death, and the eternal death. God's wrath is poured out upon all ungodliness. Hebrews 10 tells us, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. 
Matthew 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but can kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Because of our sinfulness, we stand condemned. But there is good news. Ephesians 4 tells us, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing, it is a gift. See, Jesus took your sins and mine to the cross. He was crucified for his people. He took on the wrath of God. He took on our place and our sin and gave us righteousness. A great exchange. So we can stand blameless, forgiven before God and his holiness. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John the Baptist and Matthew preached repentance. Turn from your sin because the kingdom of God is near. Romans tells us if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth you profess faith and are saved. This is the complete act of love from God. Our salvation, salvation alone, is a work of him, not in our own works, but of him. And this morning I urge you to cry out to the Lord and ask for forgiveness of your sins. Repent today, put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Surrender to him in every aspect of your life, making him Lord of your life. He offers forgiveness of your sins, a pardon from death and hell, and a promise that when you leave this world, you will be with him in love for all eternity. And this is our hope and prayer. Before we move into the Lord's table, allow me to pray for us. Thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We pray for your people. That your word will pierce every part of their lives. That we as a body would forsake envy, boastfulness, arrogance, resentfulness in our lives. That we would die to our flesh, our desires of our own way that we would walk in true love, patience, and kindness, that we would bear with one another, hoping and enduring with one another for your glory, to exalt you above all, so that you would draw all men unto you, that you would grant repentance to the lost, you'd grant them faith and belief in you. We thank you for your word. Help us to glorify you. We thank you for this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In church this morning, as we prepare to take the Lord's table, we have heard well and reminded well of the call to love. It's easy to talk about love, it's a whole other thing to actually act in love. And we're also reminded that in all the many ways we fail to love, 
both in intent and in action. Jesus did not fail. He did not fail to act in love towards us. He acted in perfect love towards us. In giving his body to be broken for us and to have his blood spilt for us so that we might not receive what we deserve, which is the wrath of God, but we might receive grace, mercy, and eternity. This table that we are about to partake in, which we take in each Sunday, is for those who have that hope. It is for believers. It's for believers only. It's for those who have made their profession public and have said, Christ is mine and have been baptized. It is a time for us to come and be reminded of God's great love for us in Christ. It's also a time for us to come together and, and remind that we share the same table as one family and we lean in on one another and receiving one another's love as we demonstrate the love of Christ through us. So this morning as we prepare to do that, I would invite you to come to the table. Our attendants will be down front. They will here to serve you. We will take our elements together. And then, I'm sorry, we'll take the elements, you'll go back to your seat, spend some time in prayer and reflection, and then once everyone has been served, um, I will come back up here and we'll lead us together through Romans chapter, I'm sorry, through 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as we take the take of these elements together, okay? So let me pray for us, our attendants will come down here and be ready for you, and then we will uh, come forward. Father, this morning, as we come this morning, and we are preparing to um, share this table once again. As we do each and every week, we, we, we do not want to be unfamiliar with what we partake in each week. It can very easily fall in that, I'm sure. But we come here this morning, particularly being reminded of the great love in which you have loved us. The love that never fails. My love fails in so many ways towards others. Our love fails towards one each other in more ways than we can count. But your love never fails and never will. And so, Father, this table reminds us of that this morning. It prompts us to deeper faith. And so, Father, as we come this morning, may our hearts be full. May, Father, if there's any in here this morning that need to wrestle with sin of not loving in action towards one another, they would bring that to you and they could come together in unity. Perhaps there are friends or siblings who have treated each other this morning and they can, you, and they can come together in unity. Maybe perhaps there's a husband and wife in here this morning who... Maybe spoke crossly to one another this morning, and they can come together in unity. Father, you would do this, and, and it's in your love, Lord, that, we, that you bind all things together. So help us now as we celebrate this time, and we love you. It's in Christ's name.